We're back. We're in 1 Samuel, reading through chapter 4 today. We're going to read about Israel's defeat by the Philistines. We will read on the death of Eli, the Philistines taking the ark, and the ark being returned to Israel. So, we're going to get started in chapter 4. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle, and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about four thousand men. So here Israel suffered defeat. The priesthood, remember, had become corrupt. The people were being, living in disobedience to God's commands. They took the Ark of the Covenant into battle, believing that that would assure their victory. But what they should have done is repented and corrected their sinful ways before they sought after God's blessing. The Ark, remember, represents God's presence in Israel. So the people feel like the Ark will unconditionally guarantee that they have God's favor and his power with them. They're not understanding that a symbol of spiritual things isn't enough. God remains with his people as long as we seek to maintain our covenant relationship with him. In the New Testament, we're submitting to water baptism in Jesus' name. We are partaking of the goodness of God when we hear his commands and we obey them. Signs and, and symbols of spiritual things are not really the presence of God just a visual perhaps, a reminder like some of the, the teflon and the tzitzit that the Jews would use on their clothing and place upon their foreheads, a reminder of God's word, but not God himself. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> we'll go into verse three. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from thence the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the Ark of the Lord was come into the camp, and the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, 
that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men, and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army, and came to Shiloh the same day, with his clothes rent, and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city, and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily, and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came of out of the army, and I fled to-day out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. The deaths of Hophni and Phinehas here, and the capture of the ark, these things emphasize that God judges sinful spiritual leaders, and that God will remove his glory from those who follow their leaders into spiritual compromise. I read that and I can't help but think of so many churches who are following along in all of this coronavirus, mask mandate, social distancing. It just makes me think of that. Um, verse 18. And it came to pass, when he made mention of the ark of God, that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck brake, and he died. For he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. And his daughter-in-law, Phinehas's wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Ichabod means no glory. The glory of Israel was God, his manifested presence among his people on the earth. So Phinehas's widow was rightly concerned about the departure of God's glory. And we should be too. We should be concerned if we're not feeling the Spirit's presence and power, if holiness and gifts of the Spirit are absent from our time with God. 
There should be an expectation there that he will show up and he will do great things all the time. Okay, chapter 5. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them, and smote them with emeralds, even Ashdod and the coasts thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore upon us, and upon Dagon our God. What's interesting here is that they're, they're seeing, they're, they're not seeing how Dagon their God is bowing before the Lord, this, this great statue of their God, which regularly is on its face before the Lord. They're not seeing it like that at all. It really is. It's a revelation to understand and know God, who he is. Okay, verse 8. They sent, therefore, and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them, and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. And they carried the ark of the God of Israel about thither. And it was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emeralds in their secret parts. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron, and it came to pass, as the ark of God came to Ekron, that the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought about the ark of the God of Israel to us, to slay us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines, and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel, let it go again to his own place, that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men that died were not smitten with the emeralds, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Now the ark is being returned to Israel. And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. And they said, If ye send away the ark of the God of Israel, send it not empty, but in any wise return him a trespass offering. Then ye shall be healed, 
and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, What shall be the trespass offering which we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden emeralds and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For one plague was on you all, and on your lords. Wherefore ye shall make images of your emeralds and images of your mice that mar the land, and ye shall give glory unto the God of Israel. Peradventure he will lighten his hand from off you, and from off your gods, and from off your land. Wherefore then do ye harden your hearts, as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts, when he had wrought wonderfully among them? Did they not let the people go, and they departed? Now therefore make a new cart, and take two milk kine, on which there hath come no yoke, and tie the kine to the cart, and bring their calves home from them. And take the ark of the Lord, and lay it upon the cart, and put the jewels of gold, which ye return him for a trespass offering, in a coffer by the side thereof, and send it away, that it may go. And see if it goeth up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh. Then he hath done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that smote us. It was a chance that happened to us. And the men did so, and took two milk kine, and tied them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they laid the ark of the Lord upon the cart, and the coffer with the mice of gold, and the images of their emeralds. And the kine took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh, and went along the highway, lowing as they went, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them, unto the border of Beth Shemesh. And they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, and they rejoiced to see it. So God caused these cows to take the ark of the covenant from where it was straight back to Israel. Beth Shemesh was a town that was across the border, but within the territory of Judah. Verse 14. And the cart came into the field of Joshua, a Bethshemite, and stood there, where there was a great stone. And they clave the wood of the cart, and offered the kine a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord, and the coffer that was with it, wherein the jewels of gold were, and put them on the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings, and sacrificed sacrifices the same day unto the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron that same day. And these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines returned for a trespass offering unto the Lord. For Ashdod, one. For Gaza, one. For Ashkelon, one. For Gath, one. For Ekron, one. And the golden mace, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both of fenced cities and of country villages, even unto the great stone of Abel, whereon they set down the ark of the Lord, 
which stone remaineth unto this day in the field of Joshua the Bethshemite. And he smote the men of Bethshemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people fifty thousand and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented, because the Lord had smitten so many of the people with a great slaughter. So, many of the people of Beth Shemesh, they disgraced the commandment of the Lord to not look at or touch those holy objects of the sanctuary. They were examining the ark of the Lord, and in doing this they demonstrated an absence of the fear of the Lord, an absence of reverence for all that is holy. There's honor, respect, and fear, which should characterize godly people's relationship with their holy God. The numbers 50,000 and 70 probably mean 70 of the people of Beth Shemesh died, which would bring the total of all who died, including Philistines here, to a number of about 50,000. Okay, moving on to verse 20. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God, and to whom shall he go up from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down, and fetch it up to you. And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came, and fetched up the ark of the Lord, and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill, and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So now we're moving on to chapter 7, where the Philistines are defeated at Mizpah. And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods, and Ashtaroth, from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel emphasizes the biblical principle, if God's people hope to receive protection and deliverance, we must first turn to him with all of our hearts. We must put away all forms of idolatry and compromise. If we sincerely desire to please God, if we expect his care, his blessings, and deliverance, then there are some things that we must do. Throughout our life, victory over spiritual adversaries is dependent 
on unceasing prayer and dedication to God. Prayer brings God into every aspect of our lives, our work, our family, our difficulties, our successes. In all things, we ought to give thanks and seek the Lord. When we fail to pray, we open up ourselves and our families to Satan's attack and to defeat. Samuel's response to these people's request was to offer a lamb as a burnt offering, which signified a renewed dedication to the Lord. And he also offered up prayers to the Lord on behalf of the people. Okay, to verse 9. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering wholly unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines, and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah, and pursued the Philistines, and smote them, until they came under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen, and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even unto Gath, and the coasts thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. Okay, so now we're going to finish up with chapter 8 where Israel demands a king. Oh, if you recall, Samuel made his sons judges in the southern part of Israel. They didn't follow their father's good example. However, this was their choice. The Bible doesn't blame Samuel in the same way it does Eli. Samuel did not allow them to function as priests. So their behavior shows children of godly parents, they still make their own choice. They too still have free will and they will choose who they will serve and the way they will go. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together, and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us, like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. 
kingship was a part of God's promise in his covenant with Abraham, back in Genesis 17. In Jacob's blessing of his sons, he assigned kingship to the tribe of Judah. That's um, Genesis 49. Moses also foretold of the day when Israel would no longer be content with the direct rule of God. And this prophecy came to pass here, when Israel demanded a human king. God saw their request as a rejection of himself as their king, as the king of Israel, as a demonstration of the people's eagerness to compromise their role as God's special and chosen people. The people asked for a king so they would be like all the other nations, so that their king would judge them and go before them and fight their battles. Isn't that what God always did for them? The people believed the reason for their troubles and their defeats was an inadequate government. In reality, it was their sin. So, they conformed to the ways of the pagan societies around them instead of trusting in God. While this wasn't the time God chose for them to have a king, their motivation was completely wrong. The Lord give, did give them what they asked for. He purposed to guide his people, even in spite of the flawed government of Israel's monarchy, even in spite of all their sin and their desiring of the things others have. He still, he tried to point them to his love, and he had so much patience with them over and over again. Okay. Um, verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice. Howbeit, yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands, and captains over fifties, and will set them to ear his ground, and to reap his harvest, and to make his instruments of war, and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries, and to be cooks, and to be bakers. And he will take your fields, and your vineyards, and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed, and of your vineyards, and give to his officers, and to his servants. Just a quick segue here. Israel's government had been a theocracy up to this point. God ruled Israel. He was their king. He ruled through direct guidance, special revelation, through his written word that we have right here, through chosen and appointed leaders. When Israel requested a monarchical government, her kings took office by virtue of hereditary secession rather than by God's direct choice. This 
as you can imagine, resulted in the reign of evil and immoral kings, impairing God's lordship over his people all the more. At the end of history, God will resume direct reign over his people again. Jesus Christ, of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Okay, verse 16. Okay, and we're still reading about as God's telling, God's having Samuel tell the people exactly what it means to have this king that they so desperately need. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants and ye shall cry out in that day because of your king which ye shall have chosen you and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us, and go out before us, and fight our battles. It baffles me every time I read that. How did they not see? How do we not see? We're always looking to others when we should be looking to God. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go ye every man unto his city. It was never God's will for Israel to have a king, but he allowed it. This is just one example of history proceeding according to God's permissive will rather than his perfect will. God permitted a king, a monarchical government, in spite of the trouble and the disaster he knew would come. He wanted them to see the need that they had for God's perfect kingdom and also to foreshadow Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. He was trying to teach his people that no government on earth will ever resolve their problems or guarantee peace or safety or prosperity, not as long as sinful people exist on the earth. Only in the new heaven and in the new earth will righteousness reign, will there be complete peace and happiness as the lot of all the people. Let's not seek after the things that everyone else has. Let's not look to others for peace or prosperity or security. Let's remember that it is our God who fights for us. <laughs>